nobody in my family is a Christian. I'm sorry about that. Have you tried talking to them? Yeah, I was going to tell my sister about Jesus one time, and she was downstairs using the computer. So I went down and I was going to tell her about Jesus, but all that came out was, can I use the computer? I have a Bible verse about that. Would you like me to go get it? Yeah, that'd be a great help. Adrian, did you hear that Kevin just wrecked his brand new Honda? No Oh man, he had it coming. I knew this was going to happen. He so deserved it. He is a terrible driver. He is awful. I think it's a bunch of when he bought that car. All he did was talk about that car all the time. It was ridiculous. I'm glad. I hear you on that one, uh huh? Well, anyway, I have that Bible verse for you. 2 Timothy 4.2 Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Okay. Amen. Hey, that's right. Once again, we're in the book of James. Go ahead and turn to chapter one. That's right. The books. How about the book of James? James. All right, let's take a look there. Chapter one. As you turn there, let's go ahead and grab the context, starting with verse 19. That's right. Verse 19. We're cooking now. And uh, let's take a look at the third acid test. And this is pretty cool. And uh, here we go. James chapter one, verse 19. When you get there, say moo. Got a couple moves. All right, we're good to go. Verse 19, listening and doing. Okay? And specifically, as we're going to see, the context is God's word. Okay? Is the important factor. But let's take a look there at what James says about this. He says, my dear brothers, take note of this. In other words, pay attention. All right? Listen up. Here we go. Pay attention. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? Because man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word. And so what? What's the word there? There it is again. Deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Okay, once again, we're taking a look at uh, the book of James, and the whole theme of this book is what James is providing here. It's truly an acid test, and it's an acid test for the early church, and as they're finally getting out there in the world, and so far, we saw the first uh, two acid tests, and the first one is, how do you handle trials, okay? If you walk away from Jesus and let you become an atheist or whatever, you failed the acid test, okay? Uh, you were not saved, and you, uh, at period, you didn't have your salvation and lose it. You weren't saved in the first place, okay? The Bible's very clear about that. But for the Christian, you and I, because we're going to have trials too, we can still be those godly, joyful witnesses out there. The last several times we saw the second acid test... 
how do you know if a person's real, e a Christian or not, is temptations, okay? And that's specifically your attitude towards uh, a sin and temptation. And what we saw there, the scripture says, no one should say ever, don't you ever let this come out of your mouth, God is tempting me. Absolutely not. As we saw, God's character is holy. He is holy. He is holy. He has nothing to do uh, with evil. He will test, we saw, okay? But to test is not evil, okay? But God will not, he will not tempt and solicit somebody to do evil. That's counter to his character, okay? That is blasphemy. And we saw that what James says is don't be deceived about this, okay? Uh, period. And we saw there, what I saw is a couple different things. Uh, don't be deceived, one, about how to deal with sin. That was verse uh, 15 and 16. And then last time, the second thing is don't uh, be deceived about how sin and living a sinful walk, okay, is a rotten advertisement for God's holy, wonderful future. Okay, and that's what we saw in 17 and 18. And James reminded us that you and I as Christians were not only to be those joyful witnesses into the world as we're out there in the world, even if we have trials, okay? But when we're out there too living holy lives, we are a kind of preview, a movie preview of the great future that is coming. The ultimate movie that you do want to be a part of that God is truly uh, writing, okay? And uh, what we saw there is that's the issue of the millennial kingdom and how awesome that is. Uh, and we saw there, you took a look at heaven and the millennial kingdom and the characteristics of that. How much uh, was just, uh, just flooded with sin? Sin everywhere. There were still murders and there was still thievery and it was just horrible rottenness and just a rotten existence that we got to look... No, there was nothing. Uh, one thing that's absent in heaven, praise God, is sin. And God has prepared a holy, wonderful future. And you and I are to be, the text said, first fruits of that. We're supposed to be the first kind of preview for that. And then the second thing we saw was uh, uh, we're also uh, giving a bad uh, uh, message to the lost. Okay, that if we're going to sit here and not take responsibility for our sin, and then we're going to blame others for our sin, and even get to the point, slap it off your face, to blame God for your sin, okay, what kind of message are we sending to the lost? That sin is no big deal, yet you don't have to worry about sin, that God doesn't care about sin. And so what are they coming forward to? There's some so-called salvation message. What kind of salvation message is that? That, that? that with unholiness you can still see the Lord? That when you come forward, you just accept that Jesus is, you know, some historical figure? That doesn't save you, okay? Sin has to be dealt with, okay? And so we saw, James says, don't be deceived about this, okay? You're given a, 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 a you're going to get stuck in sin. Uh, uh, number one, as a person, if you don't learn how to deal with this. And number two, you're being a rotten advertisement. And again, so if that truly is your attitude, how far can you go? And just not give a rip about sin. You blame others for your sin. You don't take responsibility for your sin. You don't own up to your sin. How far can you go? Because we Christians can blow it. But how far can you go and really live like that and really be a born-again Christian? You might be failing this next test. How you handle sin, how you handle temptation, your attitude towards that might reveal the truth. Now he gets to the next one here. And this is really, uh, really cool. And what we're going to see is how do you handle not only trials, temptations, okay, but ha how do you handle God's word is what he's talking about there. Again, uh, verse 19 says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevailing. Humbly accept the word, the word, that is planted in you, which can save you. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. 
Now, the context here in this passage, and of course, we're not going to get that far today. We're just getting into verse 19, okay? But I want you to get the context. The context that he's talking about, don't deceive yourself, is in the issue of God's word. And specifically, uh, is in not just listening to it, but in keeping it, okay? And he starts off this, he's saying, listen, you thought this was serious, okay? This is serious too. In fact, he says, in fact, it's so serious. Um, what's he say there? He says, my dear brothers, take note of this. And what he's doing with that statement is he's basically saying, hey, listen, guys, this is serious stuff. You need to pay attention to it. I mean, what we've seen so far is very important. But what I'm about to tell you, you better pay attention. You better pay attention and listen up. The last thing you want to get wrong, because this is an acid test. Are you really saved or are you not saved? The last thing you want to get wrong is where you're going to spend eternity. And the most horrible reality has got to be. It's one thing, hell itself is just obviously horrible. You don't ever want to be there, okay? But did you know there's a lot of people who go to church services who are headed to hell? I didn't say that. Jesus did. Open to Matthew 7. We're going to take a look at this. And I think this is why, uh, partly why James is saying this phrase. Take note of this. This is serious stuff, man. This is a real reality coming, unfortunately, for the phony Christians, so to speak, okay? Matthew chapter 7. And uh, verse 15, the classic text here and, uh, that Jesus talks about. And let's grab the context there uh, with the tree and its fruit. Okay, and Jesus even talks about, okay, we don't know uh, ultimately God, uh, somebody's heart. God does. Nobody fools God. He says, but there's going to be some telltale signs. What kind of a tree they are. Take a look at their fruit. Okay, we're not saved by our fruit. We're not saved by our works. But uh, man, something should be coming uh, at some point. Let's take a look. Verse 15, Jesus said, watch out for what? False prophets, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their what? Fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears what kind of fruit? Good fruit, but a bad tree what? Bears bad fruit. A good tree can't bear bad fruit, and a bad tree, by definition, can't bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Okay? Uh, not everyone, he says, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who what? Who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, come on. We did all kinds of stuff. Didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then Jesus, uh, I will tell them plainly, Jesus says, I knew you one time, but you lost your salvation, so you're going to hell. Now, what's the key word there? I never knew you. You can't lose your salvation. The point is, are you saved in the first place? He said, I never knew you in the first place, so away from me, you evildoers. Oh, you were right there in the midst of the camp. You are in there doing your thing. And oh, by the way, all three of those things that are mentioned there uh, can be counterfeit. Okay? With the miracles, counterfeit miracles, uh, even uh, cast out in demons' uh, name. Uh, demons can uh, allow people to do that, uh, even if they're not Christians, whatever, part of the deceit and all that stuff. So you don't have to necessarily be a, a true born-again Christian for that. That can all be counterfeit. And what he clearly says there, he says, listen, there's going to be people who are going to be shocked on that day, on judgment day, and they think they're headed to heaven, and if you will, to bring it in the modern vernacular, they've been going to church services all their life. Uh, they've been helping out in the church. Maybe they're even behind the pulpit. Okay? But they're going to think that when they take their last breath here, it's not going to be in heaven. And so here they are suffering in judgment. And then they get raised up at the judgment day. 
uh, most likely the great white throne judgment, and they're sitting there going, Lord, Lord, what have we been doing? And he tells them, hey, listen, I never knew you. You were fake. And this is why I think that James says, listen, my brother, take note of this. We've already gone through two signs. This is a horrible, can you imagine? This is not make-believe. This is reality. I think, Jesus says elsewhere, he divides humanity into the many and the what? The few. And so based on what Jesus says, I think the many are going to probably head for this reality. Religious people. Religious Christian people who say, oh, I'm a Christian. I've been going to church for 9,323 years. I've always been a Christian. That's one of the scariest things I hear. How do you always be a Christian? You have to make a decision, an adult intelligent decision based on the gospel. Okay? You have to at some point uh, uh, respond to the, that, the gospel. And so here's these people. This is the reality, folks. They thought they were saved. They thought they were going to heaven. And now they are shocked at, at, at being judged instead of blessed. And so James says, listen, take note of this. Pay attention. This is coming for some people. In fact, possibly, most likely, many people on the planet. The bulk of the planet. Okay, uh, don't be deceived is the next thing he says. Okay, take note of this. Don't be deceived. Listen, how you handle God's word is another indicator of your spiritual condition. How you handle trials, how you handle temptation and sin, your attitude towards that as well. And now how you respond to something as simple as this. The Bible. Okay, and then he starts to proceed to give us, I believe... A, 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 a breakdown of this acid test of, all right, how do you know if somebody is a truly redeemed person? What is their attitude going to be towards the Bible? How are they, go, how are they the true ones, going to handle God's word? And he says the first one here in the context is they're going to be, okay, number one, they're going to be a good listener of God's word. Okay, that's what he says there. First of all, remember, he, start, he starts off and he says, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone... Anybody who's a true born again Christian, everyone should be what? Quick to listen. Now, listen to what? What's the context? The Word, the Bible, right? So if you're a true born again Christian, don't merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You should be an eager beaver when it comes to God's Word. And this is what he says there. In fact, he emphasizes this with the word there, uh, listen, uh, is the Greek word uh, takus. Let's say that. And this is a really cool word. It literally means quick, swift, speedy, and fast. Okay, now this guy says, listen, everyone, if you're, if you're out there claiming to be a born-again Christian, this is your attitude when somebody announces, hey, it's time for Bible study. Exactly. That's the sound of a Takus Christian. That's right. right. That's your attitude. You should be quick to that thing. Whoa, yeah. What you, what you say? What? Hey, shut up, shut up, shut up. Stop, sh shut the TV off. What, what's the Bible say? That's what he says. A true born-again Christian, you should be quick to this, man. You should be swift, speedy. This is no casual listener to the Word of God. This is an eager beaver, okay? One guy says this. He says, the idea here is that somebody who is truly regenerate, listen, is eager to grasp, listen, every opportunity that they're given to increase their hearing of God's word. Their desire is to have the mind of Christ. And you do have the mind of Christ when you think like Christ, and you get to understand the mind of God in the scriptures. The idea here is to be eager to pursue every privileged occasion to obtain the knowledge of God and his divine will. To never get enough is your attitude. I can't get enough of this. This is awesome. 
He says, literally, it says to be swift to be hearing. Listen to this, so break it down. He says, so here's your attitude as a true born-again Christian towards the Bible. You are swift to the sermon. What? Hey, I'd like to talk to you about the weather. <laughs> Service is starting. They're cracking open the Bible. Get out of here. Right? You should be swift to the sermon, swift to the ex uh, exposition of Scripture, uh, swift to the resources that will bring you to God's Word. Right? So that's what he says, the first acid test. Listen, it's not just, how do you handle it? Well, I believe in the Bible. <laughs> no, no. If you're a true born-again Christian, you are a, a takus, man. You're swift to that thing. I just, I got to have it. I, I can't get enough. Uh, I'm quick to it. I, I'm the first one at Bible study. In fact, I'm the one who's opening my house for Bible study because I can't get enough of that. I'll, I'll do what it takes. I'm not going to wait for somebody. I'm going to do it myself. That's your attitude. And yet, what are people's attitudes today towards Bible study. I don't have time. Interesting. It, it, you know, we act like it's some boring chore to do, okay? There's no eagerness, by and large, in the American church, right? I, I've said this uh, before. I think it was uh, Spurgeon who said, the spiritual thermometer of the church isn't your Sunday sermon. It's usually your prayer service. That's your spiritual thermometer. That's how well you know you're doing. So I even put it like this. Spiritual thermometer of the church is uh, Sunday school to a certain extent, but even more so, Wednesday nights. Wednesday nights, to me, is a spiritual thermometer for sunrise. How well are we doing? How spiritual a church we are? And what's interesting, I don't care what church I've pastored, East Coast, West Coast, here in Vegas, uh, you just never seem to have the same attendance. It's like, well, it's another opportunity in the middle of the week for you to come and hear the word of God. You, you came out on Sunday, what, just one other day, really? Why isn't it ever the same? Why isn't it just a carbon copy of the two? Why is it such a drastic difference? Well, I don't know. Maybe something's going on here. Maybe, you know, because if, if you were a Taku's Christian, you were swift to hear and you know, all that, and you can't get enough and whatever, hey, thank you. And, oh, in fact, hey, pastor, could you start one every single night of the week? Right? I think the abnormal has become uh, the norm for so long we forgot what normality is. And this is what James is bringing us back to. Okay? And, and we, we just act like somehow you can be a Christian and give a rip about God's word. You don't care about it. You never study it. You never crack open to it. You don't make yourself available for it. And again, I know we Christians can backslide. Right? But how far can you go? Maybe you're just in a backslidden state for a little while? Or a while? Maybe you weren't saved in the first place. I don't know. Only God knows heart. But here's the attitude that we have today. This is a letter I came across. It says, Dear Pastor, you often stress attendance at uh, church services, Bible studies as being very important for a Christian, but uh, I think a person has a right to miss now and then and to be excused for the following reasons and for the number of times indicated. First of all, there's Christmas. Okay? You got either the Sunday before or the Sunday after. So that's at least one Sunday. I'm not going to be there. Uh, New Year's Eve party <laughs> lasted too long. That's one. Uh, Easter, you got to get away for the holidays, right? Uh, that's one. July 4th, that's a national holiday. That's, that's one right there. Uh, Labor Day, you got to get away, right? It's been hard working. That's one. Memorial Day, you got to visit your hometown, you know, with this nostalgia. That's one. School, school closing, kids need a break, don't they? That's one right there. 
Uh, school opens, you've got to have one last fling before it all starts, that's one. Uh, family reunions, well, I'm married, so that's mine and my wife's, that's two uh, right there. Uh, sleep late, it's going to happen to the best of us, you know, those Saturday night activities, that's four. Uh, deaths in the family, you've got to be there, that's at least four right there. Anniversary, you've got to have that second honeymoon, that's, uh, you know, at least one. Sickness, uh, we've got, uh, you know, uh, all of us in the family, that's at least five. Uh, business trips, hey, you've got to bring home the bacon, that's three right there. Uh, vacation, three weeks, hopefully, maybe four, so three or four on that. Uh, bad weather. Hey, the ice, the snow, the rain, the clouds, barometric pressure, you know, that's at least six. Uh, uh, ball games, hey, it's going to happen, that's five. Uh, uh, unexpected company, you can't walk out on them, hello, you're a Christian, right? So that's five right there. Time changes, spring forward, fall back, you're going to at least two, obviously. And, and, you know, they got some specials once in a while, you know, Super Bowl and things like that. So, Pastor, that leaves only two Sundays per year. Uh, you can count on us, that's right, uh, to be in church service on the fourth Sunday in February and the third Sunday in August, unless, of course, providentially hindered, sincerely faithful member. That's become the norm. Now, it's one thing if you want to live like that and say that you're a Christian. And again, I don't, I don't know the heart. James would tell you this, you better take note of this. How far can you push it? And keep on living like this. And it's really not that you're a Christian who's backslidden, but maybe it's really you're not a Christian at all. Because you don't give a rip about God's Word. You make every excuse under the book to avoid it. That's not normal. A Christian indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God gives you a hunger for the Holy Word of God. Did you notice that when you got saved? What was the first thing he wanted to get into? The Bible. Can't get enough. And again, we can get distracted and the world can pull away our time and all that and draw us away from the Word of God. But if we just have nothing going on there, you got a red flag, period. Either you're a Christian, you're backslidden, or I don't know, maybe you're failing the test. In fact, it's so commonplace this behavior, it's now become the norm and the accepted norm. It's so commonplace we make jokes about it. Okay, like this one. Uh, there were three country churches in a small Texas town and they were being overrun by pesky squirrels, Right? So the first church called a meeting to decide what are we going to do about the squirrels. And so after much prayer and consideration, they determined that the squirrels were predestined to be there and they shouldn't interfere with God's divine will. Well, the second church got together and they decided they weren't in a position to harm any of God's creation. So they humanely trapped the squirrels and set them free a few miles outside of town. And, but three days later, the squirrels were back. But it was only the third church that was able to come up with the best and the most effective solution to get rid of the squirrels. You see, they decided to baptize the squirrels and register them as members of the church. Why? Because now they only see them on Christmas and Easter. Now, it's funny because what? It's true. How many times you get folks, oh, and they get baptized, become members, and you never see them again? Maybe Christmas, maybe Easter. Maybe the sad reality is those squirrely Christians, maybe they're not Christians at all. And James says, you better take note of this, man. This is serious stuff. You want to have that reality? Because you know what? Like it, lump it, leave it or not, many are going to have that reality. Lord, what are you doing? I was baptized. Lord, what are you doing? I went to a church. I showed up a couple times a year. Lord, come on. What are we doing? We did this. We helped out with this. We did that. I never knew you. Away from me. You were fake. You can fool man, you can fool the pastor, you can fool the church, but you can't fool God. And James brings it down and says, listen, I'm telling you, not just how you handle trials, not just your attitude towards sin, but how you handle the word is an indicator 
as well. Don't be deceived, he says. Take note of this, okay? And, uh, and again, that's what he's saying. Uh, G- Jesus says something similar. He says, John 3, uh, he says, the, the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. His sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. And so Jesus says his sheep know his voice. They listen to his voice. They heed his voice. They don't run away from it. They don't make excuses for it. They don't come up with, well, maybe in a couple, if I get around to it, okay? That's not what happens. And James says, don't be deceived about this. This is serious stuff. If you're a true born-again Christian, a good sign is you are an eager beaver. You're a Takus Christian. You can't get enough of God's word, is what he's saying here, okay? And then if you put this in its context, makes total sense, Okay? Makes total sense with this one down here with the word, with the first two, okay? Pay attention to this. Trials are difficult, right? And trials, as we saw, if you're going to make them through, okay, you're going to need the word of God, right? And you need to stand on the word of God and what God says about your situation in order to make it through, right? So even this aspect, if you're eager, so if you're in a trial, you're, you're demonstrating that you're a Christian. I'm eager in my trial to seek out God and what he has to say about my trial and his word. You're going back to the word for that. The second one, the same thing, temptation. As we saw before, when you're faced with uh, temptation, what do you do? You're eager with the word of God. You go back to the word of God. God and, and, and even to the point where your knowledge of the word of God, because you're eager in going back to the word of God, you're swift to run to the word of God. You use the word of God in the temptation. What did Jesus do in uh, Matthew chapter 4? Every time he was tempted by the devil himself, what did he come back with? The word of God. And so even the first two fit this context of uh, passing the test there. Okay? What do you do with the Word of God? A genuine believer who loves the Word of God, runs to the Word of God for his trials, to understand what God is doing and the good purposes, also to uh, be able to, give a, uh, to defend against the temptations out there. Also, as the Bible says, he is eager to hide. He runs, he's swift to the Word of God because he's hiding it in his heart. Why? So that it might not sin against God. They all work together in concert. And this third one even builds on the last two, okay? So again, this is another acid test. If you could give a rip about God's word, you never study the Bible, you have no desire to open the Bible, uh, let alone doing what it says is the context, because that's a whole other reality that we'll get to, Lord willing, later. How many people do you know really know the Bible very well? But it's just factual, historical, religious information. Hey, there's uh, even seminaries full of people like that. Doesn't mean you're born again. I shared with you guys stories before. People who sit there and they say that they're Christians and uh, they're teaching at seminary level, they're, they're atheists. And we'll get into that again later. Okay? They just look at it as a religious book and this is a religious gig. Okay? They're not born again, but they do, quote, know the Bible. And so James, he's gonna feel, he says, don't just listen to it. Do what it says. It's not just knowing the scripture so you can get the correct answer at Jeopardy if you ever get on that double daily show. Okay? It's doing it. That's the other thing, okay? So the loss, what they do is they do neither. They don't listen to it. They're not quick to it. They're not swift to it. They can give a rip about it. And they certainly don't uh, do it, okay? Now, real quickly, I don't have time to read the whole Psalm 119. But this isn't anything new in the, uh, uh, just in the New Testament. Even the Old Testament talks about a truly redeemed person, their attitude towards the Word of God. 
And this is, again, it's an eager, bigger attitude. I've got to have it. I can't get enough. I'm listening to it. I've got to have it. Every opportunity, I'm there. Give it to me. This is awesome. This is the best thing for me. So I'm just going to read some select passages uh, out of that and listen to the redeemed person, Old Testament, towards the Word of God. He says this, Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep His statutes and seek Him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong, they walk in His ways. You have laid down precepts that are be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. Uh, I, I chew on your precepts. I consider your ways. Listen, I delight woo, in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Open my eyes, God, that I may see the wonderful things in your law. My soul is consumed with longing for your law at all times. Your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. I've chosen the way of truth. I've set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes. Oh Lord, don't let me be put to shame. I run in the past of your commands for you have set my heart free teach me O Lord to follow your decrees then I will keep them to the end give me understanding I will keep your law and obey it with all my heart direct me in the paths of your commands for there I find delight turn my heart towards your statutes and not towards selfish gain turn my eyes away from worthless things preserve my life according to your word fulfill your promise to your servant that you may be feared how I long for your precepts Preserve my life in your righteousness. I will always obey your law forever and ever. I will walk about in freedom. Why? For I have sought out your precepts. I will speak of your statutes before kings and I will not be put to shame. I delight in your commands because I love them. Your decrees are the theme of my song wherever I lodge. In the night, I remember your name. O Lord, I will keep your law. This has been my practice. I obey your precepts. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. You are good and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. I keep your precepts with all my heart. I delight in your law. Your law from your mouth is more precious to me than 10,000 pieces of silver and gold. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your laws endure to this day. I, I, your law uh, is my delight. On and on he goes. He goes, streams of tears flow from my eyes when your law is not obeyed. Your righteousness is everlasting. Your law is true. Trouble and distress have come upon me, but your commands are my delight. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I put my hope in your word. My eyes stay open through the watches of the night that I may chew on your promises. Seven times a day, I praise you for your righteous laws. I obey your statutes for I love them greatly. So much so, verse 172 there, uh, 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 may my tongue sing of your word. And I skipped over a bunch, and that still isn't the whole thing. Anybody knows the pattern there of the redeemed person towards the Scripture, towards the law of God? What is their attitude towards it? It's the same thing James is saying here, Takus. Swift, quick, I love this thing, it's awesome. What he's, I'm just going to do a couple things. He says, a, a truly redeemed person, not just in the new, but in the old, 
hides God's word in their heart. They chew on it every single day, every chance they can get. They delight in it. They rejoice in it. They're consumed by it. They set their hearts on it. They hold fast to it. They keep it. They obey it. They love it. They long for it. Even to the point where they sing songs about it. Woo! But what do we have today in the church? How far can you go and still be a born-again Christian? I don't know. Only God knows the heart. But here's my point. Take note of this. Knowing the harsh reality that's coming for the bulk of the planet, according to Jesus, why would you even want to go there? And if that's your goal, to see how much you can goof off in a so-called relationship with Jesus and still belong to Jesus, that's not a very good goal. And is that really a good goal for a true Christian? No. Okay? You announce that there's a Bible study. Come listen to the Word of God. Okay? Any kind of anything. And instead of being quick to it, swift to it, I gotta get it, can't get enough, thank you for providing another opportunity. You literally hear stuff like this. You know what? I'd love to, but I've got to go clean my dog's toenails. You know, I'll be right there, but let me first water my rock garden. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'll be right there right after I spend multitudes of hours with this show that promotes evil and rottenness. The abnormal towards God's word in the church, not the world, in the church has been going on for so long that the abnormal has become normal. And James says, you better take note of this. This is not a game. You're going to be one of those folks? Lord, Lord, come on. I did all this, I helped you out. How you handle God's word is an indicator of where you're at. Maybe you're a Christian, I don't know. I'm not here to cast doubt. But again, my point is, if you're starting to go in that direction, get back in the right direction. Why even flirt with it? Something ain't right. You either are being seduced to backslide or God out of love is trying to get you to own up to the truth. Maybe you're not saved. And you need to respond to the word. You know, it's kind of funny. I, I, I've said this for years. Um, some of the most challenging people to witness to um, seems to be like the Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses. Those who think they're saved and they're fine. And, you know, it's, it's almost easier to witness to a pagan on the street, so to speak, right? Right? But when you try to witness to somebody who's on the wrong path, but they think they're saved, man, it's pretty tough, isn't it? Put all this in its context. Skip out the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses in the church. How many people in the church are no better off? They think they're saved. Because they got baptized. Or because they go to church services once in a while. Or they own a Bible. Maybe they walked an aisle. And then you try to tell them, listen, something ain't right here. And James says, you, you, better, you better take note of this. How you handle God's word. A true born again Christian is not going to fool God. Uh, or, or a fake one. One guy says this, I'll give you two analogies and we're going to close. He said, a counterfeit Christian is like a counterfeit $10 bill. He said, for instance, let's suppose you got a counterfeit bill, but you don't know it. All right? 
He says, you think it's genuine, so sure enough, you use it, and you use it to pay for some gas. But as soon as it makes its way back to the bank, uh, the bank teller spots that bill right there, lickety-split, and says, I'm sorry, this bill is a counterfeit, and they take it out of circulation. Now, the point is, the $10 bill may have done uh, good while it was out in circulation, but the moment that it arrived back at the headquarters of the bank, it was exposed for what it really was, and it was immediately taken out of circulation. And he says this, and so it is with the counterfeit Christian. They may do a lot of good things while in circulation in this life, quote-unquote. But when they get back to headquarters and they face Jesus Christ at Judgment Day, away from me, I never knew you. Wow. Hungering for the Word of God is no small matter. That's normal Christianity. That's basic Christianity. But again, it's become so abnormal that that's now become the normal. And we've got to get back to what James says. Take note of this. If you're a true born-again Christian, don't let anybody steal your heart from the Word of God. You always say, I'm going to be quick to it. I'm going to be swift to it. I'm going to get there as fast as I can. I'm going to be first one in line. I'm going to sit on the front row, man. I'm not missing it, man. I've got to have this. Every opportunity I get, I'm going to be in there. It's like this guy does. This is my ultimate one. Uh, no excuses. Listen to this. True story. There's a guy in Kansas City, and he was severely injured in an explosion. And his face was badly disfigured by the explosion, and he lost his eyesight as well as both of his hands. Okay? What made it worse was he had just become a brand new Christian. And one of his greatest disappointments was that he could no longer read the Bible now. Because he can't see and he can't, no, no hands. Okay? Then he heard about a lady in England who read Braille with her lips. And so hoping to do the same, he sent for some books in Braille, uh, the Bible in Braille. And, but much to his dismay, he discovered that the nerve endings in his lips had also been destroyed by the explosion. So he couldn't even do that. So one day as he brought one of the Braille pages to his lips, his tongue happened to touch a few of the raised characters and he could feel them. Then in a flash, he said, I can read the Bible using my tongue. Listen. He then, in just a short amount of time, this man had already read through the Bible four times with his tongue. Why? Because when you're a born-again Christian, you hunger for it. That's the normal Christian way. Not making excuses. I've got to go rock, uh, water my rock garden or clean my dog's toenails. It's, you know what, I'll do whatever it takes. No excuses. Are you kidding me? I'm, I'm swift. I'll figure out a way, even if I've got to my tongue. And not just read it, he read it through four times at the writing of this article. And so James says, you better take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen in the context to God's word. Okay? If you're a true born-again Christian. Okay? The second thing he says, that if you're going to be a true born-again Christian, uh, what is your attitude towards handling God's word? Uh, the second thing is, you're going to be a good sponge. Okay, a good sponge. Not just listen quick to it, woo but you're going to be a sponge and soak it up for all it's worth. But we'll get to that, Lord willing, next time. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. 
And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you, that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says 
we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.